we're seated for a few weeks at a family table, spiritually speaking. Ideally, life in the church of Jesus is not a weekly event to be attended and a sermon to be heard. It really is life together in God's family. This word picture that I've been using, which I stole wholeheartedly and with permission from a pastor friend in Houston, his name is Sal Saberna, is just an easy-to-remember picture of the way the Bible describes spiritual growth and development. Let's see if we can remember Last week, we talked about this first chair. And this is the chair of the person who is not yet at the table. This is a person who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't even realize it, but they are spiritually dead. And Jesus said to them, as he said to Nicodemus, he would say to everyone today who doesn't know him, you must be, do you remember the rest of this? You must be born again. You must be born into God's family. Then comes... For those who have been born into God's family comes an immediate and inevitable stage of life. And we call that infancy. Those are babies. Then, if they are cared for, if they are properly nourished, if they are protected, babies turn into children. Children grow into young adults. And young adults, eventually, if all goes well, They are loved and supported and cared for along the way. Young adults have the capacity to become parents. As I've read the New Testament through the lens of this very simple analogy, it's amazing to me how often it actually crops up. How fatherly mature Christians are to young believers. Today's sermon is a sermon like that, and I want to show it to you in what is likely the first letter that Paul ever wrote. You can open your Bibles in 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, be warned, I'm going to move quickly. At various places around the book, you are welcome to find one in a chair near you. It looks just like this. Okay, In a chair beneath you or very near you is one of our pew Bibles. You are welcome to open that. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, I am on page 986 in the pew Bible. Don't look at page 986. If you brought your own Bible, it probably won't work out, okay? But if you didn't bring a Bible with you and you're unfamiliar with its contents, look to page 986, and there you will find Paul's letter, his first letter, to the Thessalonians. The book of Acts is what tells us Paul's life story. He dominates the second half of the book of Acts as he meets Jesus, and he himself moves from a spiritually dead chair into God's family. And Paul shows us something very encouraging about the table. Paul grew up very, very quickly. See, when you're born into God's family, you have all the spiritual DNA you need to become a parent. And it can happen quickly if you will do what Jesus said and follow him. If you will follow Jesus, he will make you, as he made his first disciples, he will make you a disciple maker. So Paul quickly moved through these stages, and he writes this letter now to brand new baby Christians. I know they were new because Paul was only able to spend three weekends with them before they ran them out of town. The book of Acts that tells us his life story says that he was there for the space of three Sabbaths. 
And he found a synagogue there, and he went in week after week for three consecutive Saturdays. He reasoned from the scriptures, and he showed them, anybody who wanted to listen, that Jesus was actually the Savior that they had been promised. Then Paul was literally run out of town. There was a riot. There was a proceeding. Payment had to be made. And the disciples got Paul out of town at night. He left under that kind of pressure, leaving behind him people who had only known the Lord for three weeks. And his first letter shows his heart for them. It's a great place in Scripture to understand the second cheer, that of the spiritual infant. Now, this word picture has some spiritual pitfalls in it. There are some temptations to be kind of an elitist. And try to put yourself at the head of the table already. I would encourage you, I would urge you not to do that. I would encourage you to listen to Paul as he talks to people who are spiritual infants and little children. And hear what he wanted to do for them. Hear his heart for them. And very humbly ask Jesus, what chair am I really in? Because the greatest spiritual mistake that people make is they think... That because they were born again many years ago, they have progressed to spiritual maturity. And that simply is not true. You can read in other parts of Scripture things like, you should be ready for meat by now, but I have to give you milk. You should know these things by now, but I have to go back and teach you the beginnings because you are still children. So let's talk about babies understanding, spiritually speaking, That when I call anyone a spiritual infant, that is not demeaning in any way. It is an invitation to move forward into the next stage. But I am not for a moment making fun or calling less anyone who is seated at this table. If I did that, that would be childish, wouldn't it? Because parents don't make fun of their little kids because they're little. Right? You're only two. You're so lame. No parent does that. What do parents do? They cherish every single season, even as they try to move their children forward. What are babies like? What effect do they have on the family table? Well, the main thing about babies is they bring great joy. Babies are the happiest people. They bring more happiness than anyone else. I mean, no one's rushing to see you in the middle of the night, are they? Not unless you're in trouble, right? No one's pulling your picture out of their wallet and saying, look, look at here. He's 49 years old. Isn't he cute? (laughs) Weird. It's babies that do that. I have a few young friends that are just welcoming babies into their families for the first time, and my Facebook and my Instagram on social media are just exploding. And I love it. I smile at every picture, and I think this, oh, wouldn't it be great to have another baby? Oh, cute. And then I remember. (laughs) Babies bring joy. Listen to Paul talk about the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, he says, 
you, how, you turned, end of the verse, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's their spiritual birth. When I met you, you served idols, but you turned away from them in repentance and you gave yourselves to the one true God. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. In chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, you are our glory and joy. That's dad talk. You are my glory. What I boast about, what I'm proud of, what makes me joyful is you. Babies bring joy. But there's not all they bring. Babies also make a lot of messes. And that's what I remember. Along with the joy, I remember the mess. I remember the sleeplessness. I remember needing formula in pallets. Amazing how much an infant needs to eat. And most importantly for parents, how often he needs to be fed. You do that with babies. 2 a.m. is not a thrilling, fun time to feed, but it's very, very necessary. And it's messy. The Thessalonians were making their own messes. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. He's talking to them about very basic things. He's saying you can't live like people who don't know God anymore, and that's going to have a direct impact on your marriage and your sexual life. God wants you to be holy. He wants you out of sexual immorality. Someone further along the table already knows that. Little children who are just in God's family need to be taught that. And that's not all. Look at verse 11 in the same chapter. Paul says, we've been urging you, brothers, verse 10, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Garner translation, remember, we told you, get a job. Don't freeload. We've told you to live, verse 11, to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands and not depend on other people. Those are very basic spiritual instructions. Do you see that? Now, why is something so fundamental being written down in God's word? Because they're just in the first chair. They're in God's family, but they're making messes of their lives. If you read between the lines, Paul knows that people who have only known Jesus for a few weeks under his tutelage and for some months, as I'll show you, under Timothy's care, they're still sorting out their new life. They don't fully understand the implications of what following Jesus has to do with sexuality. It needs to be spelled out to them that being a Christian should have a direct impact on your workplace and should make you a better employee. A young adult, a parent, they know all this. And they share it with their spiritual children. But for right now, babies are going to make messes along and in the middle of all the joy that they bring. But here's the thing, church. When families no longer want messes, they start dying. And one of the great needs for our spiritual family is to welcome the mess 
of helping other people grow up in Christ. One of the great stories of Southern California Christianity is how God used Chuck Smith, who is now with the Lord, who had a heart for surf rats and people who didn't look good by conventional standards. Messed up hair and dirty bare feet. And he loved them all the way to Jesus. Why? Because he was willing to embrace the mess. Churches that don't embrace the mess, who expect young adult or parental behavior out of people who have just been born into God's family, choose to turn those babies over to somebody else's care. And believe me, somebody will take care of them. They're God's children. He won't let his, ch- his children be malnourished and starved. He will send other parents into their lives. One of our opportunities as a 50-year-old church is to be passionate, as I explained to you last week, about seeing people born into the family and then get right down in the middle of their lives and embrace the mess. Not tolerate it. Not teach them and love them out of it, but to embrace it as part of the necessary process of discipling them to full maturity in Jesus. And if we won't, we'll die. And interestingly enough, Christians who don't aren't willing to get messy in helping and loving and teaching and caring for the babies. They usually style themselves as parents, but you know what they actually are? Little children. Because what do little children do when baby brother explodes? I don't want to be graphic here. But just coats himself with all kinds of nastiness. What does the child do? Child goes, ooh, mom, dad. And what does the parent do? They come running to clean him up, give him a bath. They teach him better. They get him back on the path to healthy, mature growth. That's what being a parent is. Finally, and this is the point of, of this sermon, babies need a lot of personal love and care. This is the passage we'll explore. I want you to see how tender and parent-like Paul was, but where did Paul learn this? Before I show you how much he cared for them, let me tell you that he, all he's doing is obeying Jesus. Because Jesus said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus told disciples, in other words, he told fully developed disciples who sit at the front of the table, you make disciples of all the others. You're going to teach them about me. They're going to come into the family. You're going to baptize them and teach them for the rest of their lives. You're going to spend the rest of your life following me and part of following me and obeying me is bringing them into spiritual maturity. And here's the point. Disciples do that. Jesus did not say, I will personally teach every single one. 
He delegated, he commissioned his other disciples, his older, more mature disciples, to do that for all the others. Is Jesus the master and the Lord and the Savior? Yes. What does the Lord and master and Savior want his disciples to do? To make disciples. This is why I've been telling you. Our mission is discipleship. Our message is the gospel. And our method is a small group. A small group of people who sit together at the spiritual table with the older people, the disciple makers, the parents, taking responsibility for the others and helping them grow. Paul knew this. That's why he said in 1 Thessalonians 2. Now look at your outline, please. Here's here's Paul's heart for the infant. Would you read it with me right off your outline? Uh, Not from the Pew Bible or the one you brought necessarily so we can all read the same thing. Listen to the heart of the disciple maker for the infant. If you aspire to the head of the table, if you aspire to be a spiritual parent, if you think you are, this is your heart. You may slide out of it like I do sometimes and get flat out childish. That's the funny thing about this table. You can move back. And I've had experiences with my kids where I think, my goodness, one of us needs to be an adult, and I'm acting more childish than they are right now. You ever have this experience? But if you're going to sit at the front of the table and be responsible for everybody else, here is your heart. Read it with me, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. Paul wrote, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead, we were gentle among you as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. We cared so much that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. That's Paul's heart. Now, why is that? It's for this reason. Look what spiritual infants are like. And again, not one of these terms is meant to be insulting. It is merely descriptive of that spiritual season. What is the spiritual like, spiritual stage of infancy like? First of all, it's characterized by ignorance. And ignorance does not mean stupidity. Ignorance literally means what? You don't know. And a baby doesn't know. Spiritually speaking, when someone is born into the family of God, they don't know what they don't know. They were just born again. They know they're alive. That's about all. What do those questions, what do those conversations sound like? Years and years ago, when I was a young staff guy at this church, before we went to Mexico, I led a preschool dad to the Lord in his own home. God had been working in his heart through his wife for a long time, and they they invited me in. He had a lot of questions. Who is Jesus? Is he really God? Did he really rise from the dead? Basic, fundamental things. Why was he asking? Because he didn't know. He'd grown up in a weird, confused religious cult that had some truths about Jesus and a lot of lies about Jesus. He didn't know. And then God showed himself my friend and showed himself in scripture and it made sense to him and he was born again and shortly after that we met for lunch to start what I call discipleship. In other words, I'm just going to teach you the basics and I'll never forget the first question he asked me. He said, "Um, Bruce, I 
got a question. Okay? It says, are you ever a big breath? Are you ever tempted? Oh, yeah. All the time. And he said, oh, thank God you're normal. (laughs) Now, a child, a young adult, a parent, they don't ask that question. Who asks such a question? Someone who's just in the family of God. And everybody else looks so much older, so much more developed, so much more knowledgeable. They just simply don't know what it looks like. And the only way to teach them is to be up close with them. What else is true about infants? Well, they're all so confused. They're learning right from wrong and healthy from harmful. That's one of the stages of infancy. As you move from infant into young child, somebody has to teach you and guard you and love you and care for you and protect you to keep you from harm. One of my dearest friends in the world is now in heaven. His name was Felipe, and he became one of our pastors in Mexico. His testimony is that of a modern-day communist. He was educated in Mexico in the 1960s when Mexico was the leftist side of the country, was actively trying to move toward communism, and he became a literal part of the Communist Party. He was educated as an economist. He was sent to Russia and Havana to learn that system and bring it back home through government programs and through education. He was a womanizing, hard-drinking alcoholic. And in God's grace, he ended up living as a roommate with a fine Christian young man who would hear Felipe come in with the girl of the night, roaring drunk with girl on one arm and a bottle in the other hand, and he would take at his cue at that moment to hit his knees on the side of his bed and pray for his roommate who was so near spiritual death. And Felipe, half the time, he would admit, would come in, throw the door open, laugh at him and say, down on your knees again crazy fanatic. Look what you're missing. Then he got saved. And he stayed in that life. And he kept drinking because he was an alcoholic. And then, because people loved him, they parented him through a suicide attempt and a one great moment. He sat in the bar as a brand new baby Christian and thought to himself, This isn't my scene. There's nothing here for me. This is what Jesus is saving me from. And that was it. Never took another drink. Now, why the blurriness? Why the confusion? Why one foot in the world and the other? Because spiritual infants are confused. They relapse. They move slowly. And if parents are impatient with them... They'll stay in that stage much longer. They're learning right from wrong and healthy from harmful. Most of all, babies are dependent because they need other people to help them grow to maturity. And this is where we come in. This is why Jesus said, you make disciples. You are to be baptizing them and you are to be teaching them. This is our mission. It is to make disciples. How do we do it? 
We do it the way Paul did it. Would you read that passage again with me, please? 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 8. Now, with all that I've told you about the Thessalonian church and these fresh modern examples in your mind, listen to Paul speaking as a spiritual parent to spiritual babies. He said, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. How do we help infants grow? We do what Paul says and we share. What does a spiritual baby need? A spiritual baby, first and foremost, needs new truth. Practically everything that God has taught is new to a spiritual infant. He's never heard it. He's heard distortions of it. He's heard traditions. He's got things running around in his mind that might come from the Bible. They might come from some religious tradition or they might come from some internet Facebook post. It's all very confusing. Oprah and Jesus are vying in his mind for airtime. Spiritual babies say things like, well, as the Bible says, God helps those who help themselves. There may be some wisdom there, but it's not in the Bible. He doesn't know that. At this point, he needs new truth. He needs to do, he needs to be taught in the way that Paul and all of the apostles describe. That's why Peter in his letter wrote that that Christians should, like spiritual infants, desire the pure milk of the word. You should cultivate a taste, he says to new Christians, to be continually feeding on the word of God. Let me be really clear about this. Regardless of how old you are and how long you've been in the faith, you will never outgrow and grow past your devotion to what God said. This is the pure, true, strong word of God from you. This is my calling as a pastor and the calling of every disciple maker, whether they're a vocational Christian or not, whether you ever draw a paycheck from a church or a Christian ministry or not, if you're going to be a disciple maker, your mission is to teach others what Jesus taught you. That is new truth. And I saw a spectacular example of it a few weeks ago. Someone posted an anonymous video of some unnamed believers in some part of China receiving their first Bibles. And I want you to watch it.
That tore me up. I counted six Bibles sitting in front of me this morning in my office. I don't know if I've ever been that excited. Not one copy. What is that? That is a hunger for new truth. If you're going to be in the parent chair, you have to have that hunger. You have to have that desire to own it, to live it, and to share it. Look again at 1 Thessalonians. We could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, but instead we were gentle among you as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. There's a picture of the Apostle Paul you don't often see. He's like a nursing mother. There is no more tender scene in the world than a mother nursing her own children. Paul says this is how much we wanted to give you. We wanted to open up everything we had to you. Look at verse 8. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you would become dear to us. And there in verse 8 is a radical disconnect for many people who imagine themselves parents but really aren't. They are willing to share the gospel but not their own life. And babies don't grow that way. Babies don't grow at a distance. Babies need mom and dad up close, nourishing them, caring for them, protecting them. You can't parent at a distance. You can't do it over the telephone when they're infants. That's why they demand so much time, because they're continually making messes. And if you want them to grow up and to grow out of that precious but dangerous stage, you have to be close to them. That's why we've opened up this class that Stephen was mentioning earlier. That is just a six-week class called Just for Starters. If you're a new Christian or you're not entirely sure which one of these chairs you're in, but it's somewhere between these two, please sign up. You can do that on your card. Take a moment right now. I don't mind a bit if you do it right now. It would thrill me, in fact, if you would join that class. It's not a group. It's just a class. It is designed to give you, in a short period of time, new truth, new habits to get you into Scripture, to teach you the very basics of God. And perhaps, even if you think you've got it mastered, perhaps you could join the group with a, with a view to someday be sitting in this chair facilitating a group of brand new baby Christians and teaching them new truth. What else does, a baby, what else does an infant need? Well, infants need to develop new habits as well. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, in the very beginning of the letter, look, you became imitators of us and the Lord. Does that strike you as arrogant? You became imitators of, what's he saying? Of us and the Lord. Does that strike you as proud? It used to, to me when I was a kid. I'd read stuff like that, and Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like, Who is this guy? But what I understand many years later, if they're going to see the life and the habits and the pace and the mind and the heart of Jesus on earth, they're going to have to see it through you. He's not here. He went away. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He said it would be better for you if he went away because he could give you the Holy Spirit and give you this commission to teach the nations to follow him, baptizing them and teaching them for the rest of their lives. 
This is the plan. There is no other. Spiritual babies need new truth and new habits. And the most stunning thing in this passage is what Paul says in verse 8. He says that the Thessalonians needed not only the new truth of God and these new habits as they learned to imitate Paul and the Lord Jesus. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 that the Thessalonians needed his very life. Read verse 8 with me again. Paul wrote, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. That may be the most unenthusiastic group Bible reading in the history of our church. Now that we know what we're doing, would you go back and read verse 8 with me? You don't have to shout it, just read it. Paul wrote, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. If you were here eight years ago, you might remember this chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Specifically is what I preached for the first time when you were considering me as your senior pastor. That verse right there to me defines what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. See, Paul says something rather shocking there. He says, we loved you so much that we were willing to share with you not only the gospel of God, that's a shocking phrase because he says it as if it were not the whole thing, right? We were willing to share with you not only the gospel of God. That's not a phrase I would have expected to find anywhere in the Bible because he's only saying, oh, not only the good news of God. Well, is that it? Just that, huh? Just the good news of God? But he says, we were willing to give you more than that. Yes, we were committed to teaching you new truth about Jesus, of, living our, of showing you how to imitate him. But the way we did it was giving you our lives along with the gospel. And one of the ways that the traditional American church, for a long, long time now, has shifted away from Jesus' method is it has told both pastors and Ordinary, everyday lay people like you, just give them the gospel. Pastor, you preach. That's what we pay you for. And if someone needs visiting or encouraging or somebody needs teaching, well, get out there. That's what we pay you for. We'll take care of our home, kind of, until one of the kids goes nuts, and then we're going to call you. And we're going to need big programs at the church so that our kids are brought along. But here's the main thing, Pastor. You just give us the gospel and it'll all work out. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 turns that on its head. The best disciple maker that Jesus ever had said, I wanted to give you more than the good news. I loved you, so I wanted to give you, along with the good news, we wanted to give you our very lives. And there's a difference. It would be comfortable for the rest of this church's existence if we just broadcasted the good news at each other. If I just preached sermons, if you just came to church, that's easy. 
This is easy. Getting the sermon ready is not always the easiest thing in the world, but delivering it, folks, this is pure joy, and I hope it shows. But it's not enough. It's not enough for you to teach and for you to hear Bible lessons. Paul says the way baby Christians grow is they enjoy two things at the same time. They enjoy the gospel and they enjoy the gift of the life of other believers. Because here's the point. The way truth and habits are delivered is through your life. Somebody's got to do the teaching. Somebody will do the baptizing. Somebody will do the correcting and the pursuing Chasing the strays in our church, some human being has to go after people and say, we haven't seen you for a while. What's going on? Are you okay? Those dark secrets of the heart where Jesus wants to triumph over secret sin, that, those things aren't exposed outside of a life-on-life relationship. Here's the Bible truth. These truths and these habits always come through another person's life. Changes in a spiritual baby's life always come through the life of somebody else. That's why Paul says we were gentle among you like a nursing mother. A few words later, he's going to say we admonished you like a father. We were right there with you for how long? Three weeks. And it was enough. And he says later, when we we were so worried about you, when we couldn't bear it any longer, we sent Timothy to you. Because it was just breaking our hearts. It was driving us crazy not knowing your spiritual condition. So what did we do? We sent a person. We sent a life. We sent someone you could touch. We sent someone you could talk to. We sent someone who could sit down next to the adulterer and say, listen, you've got to stop this. You're defrauding your brother. You're going to bring the wrath of God down on you. Where are you getting all that, Bruce? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, right after verse 3. Why was he telling them that? Because that was the condition the church was in. Somebody needed to hear that. And at this distance, the preaching distance, if this is all we keep, no one will ever know it. And guess what will happen? We'll all get stuck. Right? safe in God's family, but not growing, not maturing, not being who Jesus wants us to be. Here's the point. Disciple makers share their own lives so that others can follow Jesus with them. If you want to move along the table, it comes at this cost. Giving people the gospel and giving people your life. You know, that sounds like a big job. You don't have to do it for everyone. You only have to do it for a few. Where? Your home. And a very small circle of friends and people that will intentionally come around each other to live this out in a small group. That's what I'm inviting you to. No one who calls Cross Point home, if we're doing what Jesus told us to do, should stay in this chair for very long. Everybody starts here. Three people who, were, who trusted Christ as Savior last week, they are right here. A man who came to church for the, for the first time last week said, I get it. I'm in this chair. I need to move. Yes, he does. 
Yes, you do. This is where we all start. But nobody should stay there. And the only way anybody moves is when someone who's further along the table comes to them and say, I will give you with all that I know, I will give you the good news and I'll give you myself. I'll give you my life. The older believers, spiritual parents, I'm inviting you. Who are you parenting? There are people in this church who need you. They need to learn truth from you. They need to learn habits from you. They need to change their life and imitate you as you're imitating Jesus. But it only happens at a life-to-life level. That's what disciple makers do. They give away the gospel and they give away their lives so that other people can follow Jesus with them. So I'm inviting you over the course of the rest of this year to be prayerfully considering what you can do in your own neighborhood and in your own home. To be very practical and clear, sometime by Thanksgiving, we would like to have relational small groups operating. I doubt we can encompass the whole church, but we want a network of intentional leaders, of spiritual parents who will say, yes, in obedience to Jesus, I will give my life and I will give the gospel to a few other people to help them move around the table. We've got people in this church coming all the way from South Orange County, Long Beach, Lakewood, everywhere. People driving half an hour to get here. Imagine what it would look like if the people who were already spiritually mature in those communities understood the dynamic that I'm explaining to you here and said, let's get together once a week, once every other week, let's get together and intentionally move forward with Jesus. What would that look like? The secrets of hearts would be revealed. New truth would be understood. People would figure out how to do core spiritual things that they've heard about from a pulpit, but no one has ever taught them. That's why we need you. That's why we need you. To give away the gospel and to give away your life. That's what disciple makers do. Disciple makers share their own lives so that others can follow Jesus with them. Would you pray with me right now, please? Where are you at the table? If you're a young adult moving into a parent, this is your opportunity. So look around you, look at your circle of friends, look in your neighborhood. Say, I can be a disciple maker. I can help other people come along with me. This is so new to us. It's not even all built. It's not even developed. We're still in the planning, dreaming, building stage. But if you're a spiritual parent, we're going to need you. This is actually how we'll know who a spiritual parent is when they take responsibility for helping babies grow up. And listen, if you are the infant I've been talking about today, if you're in God's family and you know it, but that's about all you know, we are so very, very happy you're here. Our family can't grow without you. You bring more joy than anybody else. We're thrilled that you're in God's family and we want to teach you the basics. We want to teach you what someone once took the time lovingly to teach us. So very practically, my specific invitation for you would be to take that card 
and check the back of it and say that you'll join that class. That's not a group. That's just a class to quickly teach you the very, very basics of the Christian faith. And from that, I trust God is going to spark friendships and relationships that will lead later to relationships that can grow and flourish for years as Christians teach and encourage one another to follow Jesus. Listen, the spiritual potential of this thing, unlimited. I mean, there's no end to it. It's what Jesus told us to do. Imagine what would happen if we did what Jesus said. What would that look like? So whatever God is putting in your heart, I want you to either sign up for that class or tell me on the back of the card, here's what Jesus is saying to me. Here's the chair I'm in. Here's what I want to do. Or here's what I need. I need someone to teach me. Can you help me figure out the Bible? Can you teach me how to pray? Yes, we can. We want to. That's what we live for. Father, Move in people's hearts, show them yourself, show them their next step. And if anyone is here, Lord, still seated, sadly, outside your family, not knowing for sure if you're real or they're saved and their sins are forgiven, move in their heart right now and call them to yourself. Help them turn away, as the Thessalonians did, from idols and turn to you, the living, true God. God, make this conclusion of our service not merely a time to sit and listen to a song, but a time of commitment. Move in people's hearts right now to signal to you and to let us know, Lord, what you're calling them to do so that we can develop into a spiritual family that helps itself follow you better. In Jesus' name, amen.